Well, all of us um, need to deal from time to time, don't we? Maybe more often than we'd like. Uh, We have to deal with disappointments uh, in our lives, don't we? It's it's been said that the only way really to avoid disappointments is is not to have any expectations. Um, But but really, you can't can't live your life without expectations. And so uh, disappointment is is kind of a reality of our lives, isn't it? We we experience it all the time. And, and of course, we experience disappointment in different ways, don't we? We we can be disappointed by events, for example, like, uh, like, like global events. You know, will the COP26 summit coming up deliver what we need on on climate change or will lots of people be disappointed Um, or or we might be disappointed by personal events you know uh, we went for a job interview but it didn't really turn out as we as we planned or we might be disappointed by people you know somebody we maybe we expected to be there for us but turns out they weren't and and we feel let down we're disappointed Um, or or we might be disappointed by ourselves you know where we we just know that we should have done better uh, but we didn't and and so we're we're disappointed we're disappointed with our own our own standards but maybe most poignantly of all um, there might be times when we're disappointed with God Uh, you know when frankly we we expected him to have done more or or to have done it more quickly And, and so we're disappointed I wonder if you I wonder if you know that feeling you know that that feeling when maybe you've been you've been praying and praying and praying and, and 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 you've been praying about something maybe something specific and it seems like you've been praying for it for ages, but but no answer comes and then still no answer comes and 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 then maybe when the answer does come it's not really the answer that we wanted, you know we we feel disappointed maybe let down with God disappointed with God. Um, I think if, if, if we've experienced times like that, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most of us have, um, maybe this final passage in the book of Haggai might, might resonate with us this morning. Um, you'll remember if you've been here for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, you remember the setting of the book. Um, it, it's in the city of Jerusalem. We're, we're sort of 520 B.C., um, the, the temple of God uh, in, in Jerusalem, which had been built earlier by, by uh, Solomon some, some centuries before. Uh, the temple had been destroyed, destroyed by the Babylonians about 70 years earlier. The people had been taken off into exile. And, and then the Babylonians themselves had been kind of overthrown by the, the, the great Persian Empire. And, and God's people had been allowed to return then to, to Jerusalem. And they'd been allowed to rebuild the temple. Uh, only they'd started and then they'd stopped again. They actually she stopped for 16 years uh, until this prophet of God Haggai comes to Jerusalem with a, a message from God that we saw in chapter 1 to, to, to sort out your priorities and, and get building again. That was effectively the message, wasn't it? Um, which they did. Uh, they had a little wobble, we saw last week, didn't they? About three weeks into the build um, when they wanted to give up. But again, Haggai brings another message from God to assure them that that he won't give up on his people and he won't give up on his purposes. And and so the people press on with the build in in obedience to God's word. And pressing on at that stage uh, was all about clearing the site. It was all about getting rid of all the rubble, the fly tipping, the stuff that had been, you know, uh, 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 messing up the ground. Such that by the time we get to the beginning of this morning's passage, looking in verse 10, we, we can see that there are a couple of months on. So this is the 24th day of the ninth month. This is a couple of months on uh, from, from where the, the last half finished. And, and they've been working hard. They've been getting on with it. And, and yet... I think we can sense a kind of an air of disappointment uh, around the whole project. 
Um, if, you, if you remember back in, in chapter 1, Haggai's message had been, uh, chapter 1 verse 11, that, that God himself had been calling forth the drought on the land, the failure of the harvest and, and so on, because the people were neglecting the temple. But since then, they committed to obey God and to, to rebuild the temple, but actually things hadn't really improved very much. If you look at verse 19, uh, for example, we read, Is the seed yet in the barn? You know, indeed, the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, they've yielded nothing. Do you see three months into the build, three months of, of work has been going on, three months of clearing the rubble, clearing the ground in obedience to God's word, and yet things are just the same. And, and actually, as the people look forward, well, they don't seem to see much looking forward either. I, I mean, they're building the temple, of course, that's, that's good, but it's still not a patch on Solomon's temple. And, and anyway, look what happened to that. You know, we, we were an independent nation, one of the great nations of the world. We had a king and, and everything back then. And even that didn't stop the temple from just being knocked over by the, by the Babylonians. But now, look, we're an occupied state. We don't even have a king anymore. You know, we've got a governor put in place by the Persians. So how much more likely is it to get knocked over now? Do You see, even though Haggai had, had uh, brought them God's message to be strong, you know, for God was with his people. I think there's still an air of sort of disappointment, disappointment with God that's sort of hanging over them here. It's like at this particular moment, Lord, it doesn't really feel like you're with us. And I wonder if that feeling resonates with you this morning. You know, maybe you're still coming along to church. You might be seeking to obey God's word as best you can, but you just feel like maybe nothing's changed. I still find myself battling disappointment with God. Well, let's have a look at how Haggai deals with these disappointments that God's people are, are feeling and facing and how that may just help us as we seek uh, to battle the disappointments that we face um, in, in, a, in a godly way. Have a look at verses 10 to 19 and a new start in Christ, a new start in Christ. Um, because let's, let's notice here that the first thing God says through Haggai here is that his people's main problem is their sin. That's really the message of verses 10 to 14. You'll notice he uses a couple of little illustrations uh, in those verses. They're, they're illustrations drawn, if you like, from the Old Testament law. Go talk to the priests about consecrated meat and all that kind of thing. And basically what he's saying here is that holiness is not contagious, but your sin is contagious. And if you look at verse 12, you can see the, um, the, the first uh, illustration there. If someone, this is like a priest, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And we don't need to understand the details too much here uh, uh, to understand the basic point. Um, which is that holiness is not contagious. You know, if you're carrying a bit of holy or consecrated meat around with you and it comes into contact with some other stuff like bread or stew or wine or oil, it doesn't make that other stuff holy as well, does it? So, something doesn't acquire the status of being holy, of being consecrated for God, simply by being in contact with something else that's holy. That, that's not how it works. You know, when there's that kind of contact between the holy and the unclean, what is holy doesn't purify what is unclean, but rather what is unclean pollutes what is holy. Do you see? 
Um, I came up with a COVID illustration for this uh, in the week, um, just to add to the controversy. Um, uh, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. But, but it, it, to use a kind of COVID illustration of it, holiness is not like a virus, you know, that just kind of spreads around via contact. Holiness is not like a virus, but it's rather more like a vaccination plan in, in that it needs intentional planning and effort, doesn't it, for holiness to spread. So that's not how it works with holiness, verse 12. It's not contagious. It's not like a virus. But what about uncleanness? What about sin and and evil? Look, verse uh, 13. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So, so in, in kind of Old Testament thinking, you know, if you were in contact with a dead body, that would render you ritually unclean, so that you, need, you needed to go through cleansing rituals. And, and uncleanness, of course, in the Bible is a, is a picture, isn't it, of sin and, and of evil. So if you touched something that was unclean, it would render you unclean. And, and so actually the point in verse 13 is, is just as clear as verse 12, isn't it? Uh, holiness is not contagious, but actually sin is contagious, Sin actually is like a virus. You know, that does spread and, and contaminate what it, what it touches. And actually, you'll know the Bible uses other illustrations, doesn't it, to make a, a similar point. Paul talks about sin spreading like gangrene, doesn't he, in, in 2 Timothy, or, or like yeast through a whole batch of dough in, in 1 Corinthians 5 or Galatians 5. Um, and, and God, through Haggai here, is, is making the same point that holiness is not contagious, but sin and evil are highly contagious. And, and then he applies that to God's people in verse 14. So it is with this people and nation before me, declares the Lord. And, and with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Do you see? And, and, and this, friends, this is very relevant to us. Of course, because in terms of our relationship to God, holiness is not transferable. It's not contagious. You can't become one of God's people simply by being around God's people or or even by reading God's word or by praying to him. But it's amazing how many people try, isn't it? You know, I think it is a belief, actually, that's, that's very much alive and, and around people today. It's the belief that if you attend some kind of religious place or rub shoulders with some religious people or take part in some religious rituals, you know, communion or Lord's Supper, a, a baptism, something like that, that holiness in some way is going to sort of rub off on you. And, and that the status of being one of God's people will kind of transfer across to you. So that you'll know God's blessing or you'll have some kind of inside track with him or whatever. I'm, I'm sure for these people here, um, you know, that they may well have imagined that simply rebuilding the temple, you know, standing on, on holy ground again, as it were, uh, would, would automatically make them holy again, make them right with God. Um, and, and, you know, m- maybe for, for some today, we might be tempted to think that the status of, of Christian. Is something that you just kind of catch in some way, you know, by being part of a Christian nation or just by being around Christians or present in Christian meetings or Christian buildings or whatever it is, regardless of, of what your own relationship with God is like or, or what the rest of your life is like. And, and God's point here through, through Haggai is to say, no, you know, that's not how it works. 
Holiness is not contagious. You don't become one of God's people by sitting next to one. But although holiness is not contagious, our sin certainly can be contagious. Our sin can rub off on others, can't it? Um, uh, looking at the fruit bowl <laughs> in, the, in the week, you know, put, put two bananas together in your fruit bowl, you know, a, a, a manky one and, and a fresh one. And, and what, what happens? Um, it doesn't cause both of them to become fresh, does it? No, it causes both of them eventually to become kind of slimy and black and ugh, manky and horrible. And it's like that with, with our relationship with God. Holiness is not contagious, but, but, but sin is contagious. And, and that's what Haggai sees as, as he looks around him. He sees a people who are still in their sin, who are still unclean such that everything they touch, whatever they do, whatever they offer, well, that's also unclean. And so the message of verses 15 to 19 then is that because sin is your problem, your only hope lies in the temple. Because notice that, that although they were, they were still struggling at this particular time, the, the 24th day of the ninth month, verse 10, it's still a pivotal time for them because, verse 18, from the 24th day of the ninth month, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. In, in other words, up until that day, they'd been kind of you know, clearing the ground, getting rid of the rubble, the fly tipping, whatever else. And now they were actually starting to lay a foundation stone for the temple. And and so Haggai's message to God's people is to get them to to kind of look back at what had happened up until that date, verse 15, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple. How did you fare? What was it like back then? You see, he's getting them to look back and, and think carefully about what had happened to them, which was that there'd been no temple and there'd been no blessings. No, no resources, verses uh, 16 and 17. The harvest they'd hoped for hadn't materialized. They'd been rubbish because God had been sidelined, we saw in, in chapter 1. But from this day forwards, God says, verse uh, 19, from the day that you're laying the foundation of my temple, I will bless you. Do you, do you see what he's getting at? He, he's kind of saying in a nutshell, look back, and the picture is no temple and no blessing. But now look forward from this day on which the foundation of the temple is laid and see that temple means blessings. Yeah, temple means that blessings flow. So, so what, is, what does all that mean? Well, for, for God's people then, of course, Haggai's been exposing the people's sin so that they can see the true significance of the temple. He's been telling them that their sin is the problem and that the temple is their only hope because it's in the temple, it's only in the temple, where forgiveness and and where peace with God was available. You see, they'd they'd returned from exile, that they'd been getting on, hadn't they? In chapter 1, we've seen they've been getting on with all kinds of stuff since since they returned, except for rebuilding the temple. That was the kind of the can that they just kept kicking down the road. Yeah, we'll get around to it one day. In other words, rather than the temple being central to their lives, it had become a kind of extra, an add-on 
to their lives. It's like what was central to their lives was their work and their homes and their families and so on. But the temple was just a kind of bolt-on, an add-on to that. We'll we'll do it sometime. And Haggai's message here is that the temple is not an add-on to your life. It's absolutely central to it. And, And so I've been withholding my blessing until that foundation stone is in place, symbolizing that the whole temple will will be rebuilt. Do you see? And and I think this helps us to see why there's been a delay in in God blessing them, doesn't it? You know, I'm sure they expected that from the moment they recommitted themselves to rebuild the temple, that, that God would start to bless them again. But actually, he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, there's this kind of three-month period when they were seeking to obey. They were clearing the site and whatever, getting on with it. But God still wasn't doing anything. So why the delay? And, of course, we hate delays, don't we? We find delays frustrating. You're, you're probably a lot better than me at dealing with delays. I'm, I'm still frustrated by these roadworks outside. That's why I spent in, in, the, in, the, in the gap between the two services here, I had a conversation with two, at least two different people about where you can park now because it's frustrating, isn't it? We hate delays. And now apparently Smallbrook Roundabout is going to be closed for six months. So, you know, how, how annoying is that? We, we hate delays, don't we? And, and often when we experience delays, we, we assume that it's because something's gone wrong. You know, there's been a water main problem. There's been a, a gas leak. There's whatever it is. But, but when God delays here, well, he's doing it for a purpose, isn't he? And, and the purpose here is to ram home the point to them that the central thing in their lives is to be the temple. Because that's the place where you're going to find forgiveness with God, where you're going to find a new start so that you know that's what god was saying to them back then what does that mean for us now i mean we we don't even have a temple or do we have a temple well obviously this is not a temple um this is a rain shelter um but but actually we've been seeing in these chapters haven't we for for us for us as New Testament Christians, for us on, on this side of the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the temple. He's the fulfillment of everything that the temple was pointing to. We've been reminding ourselves of John 2, haven't we, where, where Jesus himself declares that he's the temple. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And John says, he's talking about his body. He's the temple. Or we might remember John's words in, in, in John 1.14. We, we often use them at, at Christmas where, where speaking of the Lord Jesus, uh, John says he's the word become flesh and dwelling among us. And that, that word dwelt among us uh, is originally the word tabernacled. And, and the tabernacle, of course, was effectively the portable temple. Wasn't it? That was the place where God dwelled with his people. That was the meeting place between God and, and his people while they, while they journeyed to the promised land. And in John saying that Jesus is the word made flesh and dwelling among us, he's saying it's no longer the temple in Jerusalem where God dwells with his people. No, that now happens in a person. And, and that person is the Lord Jesus. He is now the place where, where forgiveness and where cleansing and where peace and where new life and new starts are to be found through his death and his resurrection. And so, of course, friends, you know, that means we, we can, we, we must be, be involved with God's people and we must read God's word and we must be speaking with him in prayer and we must be receiving the Lord's Supper and all of those things. But actually, unless the person of the Lord Jesus is central, 
we won't discover the spiritual blessings that flow from a relationship with him. Do you see, to know forgiveness, to know cleansing, to know peace, to know a new life and, and a new start with God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the new temple, must be absolutely central. He's the one we come to. A couple of weeks back in, in chapter 1, uh, we, we saw a, a parallel, didn't we, between uh, the message of Haggai and, and the words of Jesus in in Matthew six thirty three, Do you remember that, that instead of running around chasing after all these other things that, that we could be doing, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and then what? And then all these other things will be added to you. Do you see, Christ must be central. We won't get the spiritual blessings of Christ without Christ being central. And, and friends, just as for God's people here, you know, actually so for many of us, you know, that the, um, it, it may be for us that the disappointments that we face, the delays that we face and that may frustrate us and cause us to struggle so much, it may well be that they are coming to us because God is reminding us, or maybe God is teaching us for the first time, that Jesus Christ must not be an add-on to our lives. He must be absolutely central to our lives. That the spiritual blessings of Christ only flow from Christ himself. And, and so maybe you know, the challenge of this passage for us is actually the same as it was for God's people in, in Haggai's day. No temple, no blessing. And so will we make the Lord Jesus, the new temple, not simply peripheral to our lives, in the days ahead, but friends, central to our lives in the days ahead. So new life in Christ. Um, have a look then at these, these last few verses, 20 to 23, which I, I think are all about new security in Christ. Because um, uh, we've been able to see here, haven't we, how this temple points ultimately to the new temple, which is Christ, blessings in him. But these people are concerned with the Jerusalem temple, aren't they? They're, they're the one that they're trying to rebuild. And actually, the very real prospect that this new one could be destroyed just as quickly and as easily as the old one was. You know, they, they've got a governor ruling them. This guy's Zerubbabel. And, and, and on the plus side, actually, this guy comes from the family line of, of King David. He's the grandson, in fact, of the, the last official king of Judah, Jehoiakim, before uh, 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 he was taken off to exile. But actually, Zerubbabel's been a pretty weak governor. And so with a guy like him in charge, you know, what's to stop something similar happening to, to the temple all over again? Uh, you know, so Haggai, well, thanks. Thanks for reminding us that blessings flow from the temple. But how secure is this temple? <laughs> you see, I think there's a sense of uncertainty uh, among the people. Uh, I was thinking about the, uh, the communities in uh, uh, New Orleans that were wiped out some years ago. What was it, 10, 11 years ago, uh, wiped out in Hurricane Katrina. Um, and, of course, they rebuilt didn't they? They, they rebuilt and they re-inhabited the city again. But we can well imagine, actually, that as they did that, they were kind of thinking, that, or they had this nagging sense of uncertainty 
about whether some other hurricane would come along and you know, do the same thing uh, all over again. And then when Hurricane Ida came you know, back in, in August and ravaged parts of the, the Louisiana coastline all over again, we can just imagine the people across, across New Orleans you know, uncertain as, as to whether they too would be devastated all over again. And it's kind of like that feeling going on here in Jerusalem, I think. If the temple is the place of blessing, well, what are we going to do if it gets destroyed again? You know, like it did the last time. Because it still feels pretty sketchy around here. And, and so what does God say through Haggai then? Well, have a look at verse 22. Because God says to Zerubbabel that he's going to uh, overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. He's going to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of nations. He's going to overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the, the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of his brother. In other words, you can get the picture there, can't we? Uh, God is telling Zerubbabel that, that he's going to destroy all of his enemies. Verse 22 is kind of a picture of, 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 of the upheaval of, of war, you know, b- bombed out buildings and tanks overturned and, and the palace being occupied. You know, that, that's the kind of picture that's going on there and, and that somehow Zerubbabel is going to be the victor. But, but then look in verse 23, there's another picture, isn't there? God says to him, on that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So Zerubbabel is God's chosen one, God's servant, God's signet ring. And, and a signet ring was like a uh, like a seal, you know, important people would, would have one. It was kind of like your signature or like your chip and pin, uh, if you like. It was unique to you. It, it was a symbol of authority, uh, of course, if you're a ruler or an important person. Uh, but actually, more fundamental than that, it was an identifying device. It was personal to you. It was your signet ring. It was your seal. It, it meant that it was precious. It was closely guarded. In fact, hence, it was worn as a, as a ring. Or, or, or as a chain around your neck. And, and Haggai is, is saying to, to Zerubbabel that this is, is, is what you're like in the eyes of the Lord, Zerubbabel. He's, he's saying you're mine, Zerubbabel. You, you might be weak, but you're like my signet ring. You belong to me. And through you, I'm going to deliver my people from all of their enemies. And, and it's fabulous news. And, and actually, it's a reversal of what God had said to his grandfather, Jehoiakim, whom God had rejected because of his disobedience. God had said to him, it's in uh, Jeremiah 22, 24, uh, that though he had been, though Jehoiakim had been as precious to him as a signet ring, yet I would tear you off, he said, and give you into the hands of the Babylonians. You see, but now, in in Zerubbabel, his grandson, God is kind of reversing that that divine rejection and he's he's reinstating another ruler in the line of David. See what's happening? And we can just imagine, can't we, how how comforting that would be, you know, for God's people to hear Haggai preach that that message. Because to hear that their leader is chosen by God and that their leader is going to be victorious, that their leader is in the line of David. Well, that surely means, doesn't it, that God's people, that they are going to be secure as well. We just imagine the the implications of of that message, the comforting uh, uh, power of that message for God's people then. 
But what about for us now? To, to, to what degree uh, was that message fulfilled just through Zerubbabel himself? Well, of course, he, he may well have had some victories in battle. Um, uh, he, he may have... The, may have been some other ways in which he was able to keep his people safe from foreign invasion. I, I don't know. I don't think we're really told very much about that. But, but actually, the message was never ultimately fulfilled with Zerubbabel, was it? You know, God didn't, uh, verse 21, shake the heavens and the earth in, in, in judgment, did he? That the temple, it, it never did surpass uh, the, the grandeur of, of, of Solomon's and, and, and the power of the nations around God's people just just remained you know the Persians were replaced by the Greeks and then they were replaced by the Romans Israel never did shake off its occupation of one kind or another and and you'd kind of be right if you've read now to the end of this little prophecy and it just kind of fizzles out at the end doesn't it you know there's this kind of sense of incompleteness as you get to the end of the book well friends that's exactly what we're meant to feel because we're meant to keep turning Keep turning the pages of the Bible until we come to the one who fulfills this prophecy and and all of the Bible's prophecies. Because the the ultimate horizon in view here, it's not with Zerubbabel. It's with Zerubbabel's descendant. And and you might know Zerubbabel is listed in the the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. He's he's in the line of David which stretches to to Joseph and then to, to, to Jesus. And so what, can be, uh, uh, what is being said of Zerubbabel here is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And, and just have a look at verse 23 again. Have a read through verse 23. Um, notice some parallels as I read to you some verses from Isaiah 42. You might know that in Isaiah 42, Jesus is being spoke of as the, the suffering servant. Um, have a look at some of the parallels with verse 23. In Haggai 2, here's, here's Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold. And here's Haggai uh, uh, called Zerubbabel there in verse 23. My servant. And, and my chosen in whom my soul delights. That's Isaiah 42. But again, Zerubbabel is God's chosen one. Do you see in verse 23? And Isaiah continues, I've put my spirit in him and he will bring forth justice or victory. To the nations, he, he won't cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice, victory. You see, so this is what Zerubbabel is going to do, says Haggai. But ultimately, this is what Jesus is going to do. That The complete fulfillment of this is, is, is only going to come as Jesus Christ chosen by God and a servant of God, indeed the suffering servant of God, achieves complete victory over all the enemies of God's people, the enemies of sin and death and hell, as he goes to his death on the cross for you and me. You see, friends, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is ultimately the signet ring of God. He's the one who belongs to God, the one who's precious to God, the one who will defeat all the enemies of God. And friends, if our leader, if the Lord Jesus is is eternally safe and secure and victorious, well, then all of us, his people who are in him, well, we can also have comfort and also have assurance, can't we? That, That come what may, 
we too are as eternally safe and secure as Christ himself is. That's how it works, isn't it? That phrase that the Bible uses of being in Christ. Think about something that uh, if you had it, it would be really precious to you. Uh, I was asking them this morning to think about an Aston Martin, maybe if you like Aston Martin, something like that. Think of the car or the the, the precious thing of your choice. Imagine somebody gives you a a beautiful Aston Martin car, and it's precious, isn't it? You don't don't leave it out on the street to get kind of scratched and nicked by by anyone who's who's walking past it. It never leaves your sight. You, You keep it safe and secure. It's precious to you, which means that everything you put in the Aston Martin is as safe and secure as the car is. And for us to be in Christ, it means that we're as safe and secure as Christ is in the hands of his Father. Do you see the point? In other words, our security as God's people, as those in Christ, that's intimately connected to the security of of Christ himself. And friends, if Haggai's message of security for God's people then through Zerubbabel would have encouraged and assured God's people. Well, how much more is the message of our security now by God's people, uh, 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 as God's people, by being in Christ encouraging for us? The message that the Lord Jesus is special and chosen and precious in the eyes of God. And that therefore, if we have come to him, if we're in him, then friends, whatever happens... Whatever other disappointments or struggles we face in our lives, well, we are eternally secure in him. So so to to people worried that the temple could be destroyed again, just like it was before, uh, God says, no, you're safe forever. And friends, to us, as, as we think about our lives, well, if we are in Christ, we are safe forever. We're eternally secure. So as we come to the the end of this little book of Haggai, there are times, aren't there, there may be many times, when life looks and feels somewhat disappointing. You know, when when our lives are being rocked by by various things, various waves, we're not sure how we're going to cope, how we're going to get through. Well, the message here at the end of Haggai, I think, is, is firstly... That Christ is to be central to our lives. Friends, the blessings of Christ only flow from Christ himself. So do you want a new start? Well, make Christ central. Get him off the periphery of your life and put him in the center of it. And and then the the second message here, I, I think, is that because Christ is central to God, he's God's signet ring, he's special and chosen and precious in his sight, if you are in him, if you're trusting him, then amidst all the disappointments that you may feel, you can know the eternal love and safety and security that comes from being connected to him. And friends, that should serve, shouldn't it, to strengthen us, to encourage us, no matter what the journeys are that we're called to follow as we follow him in the days ahead. Shall we pray about that together? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for this uh, little book of Haggai. Um, we thank you that how um, on, on every page of the book, these, these ancient words point us to the Lord Jesus. So please, would you help us to, um, to hear its call to, to shape our priorities around the Lord Jesus, to be strong in him because of your promise and your presence with us. And, and so help us to, to make and keep him and his kingdom and his purposes and what he's doing in the world, not at the periphery of our lives, but right at the center of it. For your glory's sake, we pray. Amen.